Welcome back to Who's Talking. He was one of baseball's greatest players. Over 22 seasons, he set all kinds of records and was rewarded with what was, at the time, the biggest contract in baseball history. Now, ever since his retirement from the game, he has brought that same level of commitment to another field. And it has paid off just as handsomely. I worked a lot on this question, Alex. I deny it unto them. Are you always like this? Are you saying parents are wrong? Yes. Will you come back? Yeah, okay. of course I will. Alex Rodriguez, welcome. I am excited to get to spend this time with you. Well, thank you, and thank you for that generous uh, intro. Uh, well, it'll get less generous as I'm we go. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, a lot of big star athletes go into business. They buy a restaurant, they buy a, a car dealership, they slap their name on it. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is very different. Yeah, it certainly is. Look, I, I think a lot of the, the athletes that I think you were talking, I think there's, they, they I, don't have the right, I think, vision and strategy and team and the right alignment with that team. I read something where there was over 50% of athletes were going bankrupt after their playing days. I mean, if you just keep it simple, we say baseball, let's keep it simple. Same thing in business. If all the athletes give all their money to Blackstone and go take a nap for 20 years, that 50% number of going bankrupt will go to zero. Blackstone, Berkshire Hathaway, they're the greatest investors in the world. And I think if we want to attack this epidemic, we have to attack it with simplicity and best investors in the world. You, you say epidemic. Literally half of, of, of professional athletes end up broke? You know, that's the stat that I've read over and over again. And Chris, I think if you still have to go work with the amount of capital that some of we've made, um, that's a tragedy. But it's a lot easier to go bankrupt or to run into financial issues and I'll give you the math. You take a player that makes $100 million in his career. He plays in LA or New York, 50% taxes. So now you're down to 50 million bucks. You give your lawyer, pay your lawyer 10%. Now you're down to 40 million. 5% to your agent, you're down to 35 million. Now, you haven't bought a house, you haven't bought a car, and you haven't even gone through your first divorce yet. So there you go. <laughs> well, you, you got to factor all those all things in. All right, let's take you back out of the $100 million range of the first divorce. Mm-hmm. You grew up with a single mother, in, uh, and, and I'm told that you guys used to have to move mm-hmm. when the rent would get too high. Uh, so how does that kid, from that background, with no college education, how do you co- become a big, successful businessman? Well, I think uh, a big dream, a big vision. I come from very modest beginnings, but my dreams and my vision weren't modest. But specifically with my mom, um, I saw her as a single mother. My my dad left when I was 10, left back my mother and my two siblings. So the four of us in one uh, two-bedroom apartment. And I saw her with two jobs. I saw the struggle. It felt like every 30 days was like every three days. And... It was a struggle and it was painful for me to watch that. And we had to move, Chris, every 18 months because the landlord kept raising the rents. And I remember as a 12 or 13 year old boy, I got down on one knee in my mom's bedroom while she was at work. And I said, dear Lord, if I ever have an opportunity to trade places with the landlord, uh, I will. And sure enough, about a decade later, 
I bought my first duplex in Miami. <laughs> One of your big mentors along the way has been Warren Buffett, and who took an interest in you because he had to help ensure mm -hmm. your huge contract with the Texas Rangers. Is it true that at one point he tried to teach you about investing, talking about Ted Williams? <laughs> he sure did. And, uh, you know, my relationship with Warren now goes back over 20 years. And uh, I thought it was really neat that he insured my contract with the Rangers. And the things he talked to me about all the time was, again, keeping it really simple. There was three things. Number one, um, be a gentleman all the time. Number two, be the best baseball player you can be. And then when it comes to business, buy the best businesses for a fair price, not a fair business for a great price. And always think about businesses and real estate that throw off cash flow, because you can then take that cash flow and reinvest it over the long and, term. And in terms of Ted Williams, part of it was lay off the... Be very disciplined. He said, Ted Williams was my favorite hitter because he was the most disciplined hitter. That's how I look at investing in businesses. Now, the one difference in baseball, you have to swing at the edges with two strikes. In business, you don't ever have to swing. You can take one swing a year, two swings, one, year, one swing every five years, and you're fine. You just wait till you get your fat pitch. But he said, Alex, when you get that fat pitch, go get a grand slam, hit a bomb. <laughs> well, all right, let's talk about the bomb because the umbrella for all of your holdings is something called the A-Rod Corporation. Mm -hmm. And then that includes real estate, mm -hmm. private equity, mm -hmm. venture capital, sports teams. Give me a sense. I'm sure people are wondering as they listen to this. Mm -hmm. How big are you when you take all of the funds, all of the investments, mm -hmm. total valuation? Give us a sense of what A-Rod Corporation is. So in talking about Warren Buffett, uh, he's been my mentor and long-term teacher. I spent so many days with him in Omaha. And for lack of a better term, is a mini Berkshire Hathaway, but we're, very, we're private. But 75%, 80% of our business is real estate. Chris, one of the things that people uh, don't know is that we've acquired over 20,000 multifamily apartments in almost 20 states. And over the last five years, we've acquired almost 10,000 single family homes for rent. And we're making big impacts in these communities, both with our returns, but also socially giving back to these communities. So what I didn't hear is a number there. Total amount of money in... I would say if, if you were to put a value in our enterprise, it's probably somewhere between a billion and two billion with our holdings. So real money. Now, one of the things that you're doing, and I kind of enjoy this, is that you are part of a group that's going to become the majority owners of the Minnesota Timberwolves mm -hmm. next year. And one of the players that you've taken on is a fellow named Rudy Gobert, mm -hmm. who is in the second year of a $205 million contract. So here's my question. How does it feel to go from the star athlete who's getting paid a fortune mm -hmm. to the owner who's paying someone else a fortune. <laughs> it's kind of a conundrum. I don't know how, how to feel about it. But look, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of athletes. I, I feel like I'm one of them. I get, I get it. And the great thing about the NBA is a wonderful league, is a global sport, um, is growing at a tremendous pace with great leadership with Adam Silver and a great ownership group. And as the league grows and the revenues grow, the salaries grow. I mean, unlike baseball, you have... Just one thought process is let's grow the pie as big as possible around the world, 
both in popularity and in revenue, and then you split it right down the middle. And as a result of that, these salaries are going to keep getting higher and higher. I believe you'll have an athlete in the next five years in the NBA that will make $100 million per year. Really? Yes. And do you think that's right? I mean, we are <laughs> in the greatest country in the world. And as an athlete, I thought it was right. So as an owner, I have to think it's right. Now, the one concern I think that I have, even if I was the player or for our players, is to make sure that their focus remains in basketball. Because when you have these type of resources, um, you know, there's a big responsibility and you just have to stay focused. I'm a man with, with brown skin as well. And there's challenges that they have gone through that perhaps I can be, you know, relate with. And, and I get athletes and I'm also here to help. I, I spend a lot of time with our athletes talking about financial literacy, about the challenges. And it's important they have a place where they can go and actually talk. Now, speaking of financial literacy, you have been on Shark Tank mm -hmm. several times. And one time you were negotiating with Rob Gronkowski and his brothers. Take a look. <laughs> I am interested, Mark. If you're interested, I think we can bring a lot to this business. Oh, no question. I'm pretty firm with valuation. Would you guys do the 150 for 15 percent? Yeah, we'll do it. You got yeah. it. <laughs> Honestly, do you get as much of a rush, forget Shark Tank, making a big deal as a businessman as you did as a player getting a big hit? I don't think anything will compare to baseball. I think being a world champion in New York City, uh, that's something that I'll be able to brag for the rest of my life. And as I walk around the city, walking here today, hey Rod, thanks for 2009. That's just wonderful. And, and baseball is my first love. In business is a little bit of a different thrill. Uh, unlike baseball, I, I think about it more long-term, uh, but it's definitely very exciting. You talk about baseball. Let, the World Series used to get 40, to 45 million viewers a year. This last year, the last few years, it's gotten more in the neighborhood of 10 million viewers for the World Series. Mm -hmm. How much trouble is baseball in, and is there anything it can do to kind of restore, maybe not 40 million, but to restore some of its popularity? Chris, I think long-term, I'm extremely bullish. 200 years from now, I think baseball will be here, it'll be very healthy, it'll be growing. I think short term, we have some headwinds. And I think there's two fronts to that. Number one, uh, there's a trust and transparency issue. Trust between players and owners and trust between fans and players. The other part is the game has gone slower and meaning more swing and misses, less action. Uh, you remember, I remember the days where a game would be two hours Absolutely. and there would be a lot of action and there's pitchability. And look, some of the guys that hit the ball the furthest in my career are some of the worst hitters I've ever seen. And some of the pitchers I threw the hardest are some of the worst pitchers I ever saw. And unfortunately, our alignment today is promoting much more rock throwers and less pitchers, and much more guys like, like John Daly can hit the ball a country mile, but are not great hitters. So, so if you were suddenly the commissioner of baseball, and I'm talking short term, next few years, to try to goose it up, to try to get the ratings for the All-Star game or for the playoffs, the World Series, what would you do? Uh, number one thing is I would open up the floodgates. I, I, I think people, like today, demand more access than ever before. We have to be proactive. So meaning, uh, I would put cameras on guys, players that are driving to the park. I would want to see them at home. Of course, everything, you know, you can vet everything. The clubhouses, wide open. The clubhouses, the batting cages, the bullpens. 
uh, interview players. There was a recently uh, Juan Soto was interviewed on During a Sunday. the All Star game. Yeah, it, it was wonderful. And, and you're he here. was in the outfield. And, and he'd get ready, but in between right. pitches, he's sitting there talking to the announcers. Yeah, and David Cohn asked him a question. He's like, oh my God, hold, wait, there's a play in right center field. He made a great play. But I, my text was started blowing up. And for 20 minutes, I was stuck. I was glued to the TV. And I got to know him better. It was win-win. The game wins, the team wins, uh, and everybody, the game wins, which is most importantly. One of the things that I know that, that football does is they own... Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, yeah. you're going you're gonna to fit Thanksgiving dinner in between the three NFL mm-hmm. games. Is there anything baseball could do? If you look at July 4th, it's a wide open day. There's no football. There's no basketball. There's no soccer. It's a national holiday. We celebrate the greatest country in the world where baseball is the America pastime. What a wonderful day to have just four games starting at noon, three, seven, and ten, and say, Today is going to be all about baseball, and every game we're going to wire these guys, and we're going to have interviews, and everybody's at home watching baseball while they barbecue with their families. Let's talk about your career in baseball. Over 22 seasons, and these numbers are astonishing, you hit 696 home runs, you won three Most Valuable Player awards, and you were a 14-time All-Star. But when you became eligible for the Hall of Fame this year, your name appeared on 34.3% of the ballots, and you need 75% to get in. Alex, how do you explain it? Well, that's, that's on me. You know, I, I've made mistakes. Uh, I've talked about them. I served the longest suspension uh, in Major League Baseball for, history. For taking performance for my mistakes, and yeah. drugs. <clears throat> and uh, it was the most embarrassing moment of my career. And it was a mistake that um, I've now forgiven myself, but it took me a while. And Chris, it took a lot of uh, turning the lens inward and doing a lot of therapy and understanding some of the mistakes and why I was making them, how it ties into my childhood. But when I think about those mistakes is the biggest gift and the biggest curse of, of my life. I look at that and I think about that every single day that I did that to myself. And I hope that because of that mistake, the lesson is I get to be a better father uh, a better partner, a better friend, a better son, and hopefully other players can learn from my mistakes. To the degree you feel comfortable sharing, you, you say that's on me and your childhood and therapy. I mean, help us understand because, mm-hmm. you know, you're such a gifted athlete. You were, were such a skilled and accomplished mm-hmm. athlete. And you say, why on earth would mm-hmm. Alex Rodriguez ever feel he had to cheat? Mm-hmm. And that's my question. Yeah, why? It's a great question, Chris. And I think about, um, and at some point, if I ever write a book or ever do a documentary, I, I will get into it deeper and deeper. Um, here's what I would say is surrounding yourself with the best people that are going to keep you accountable is very important. The other part is, and this is not an excuse, my father leaving at 10 um, was I, I had a big void in my life. You know, I also had from age 15, when they said I was going to be the best player in the country at 15, to the age of 25, I had two coaches. That was Rich Hoffman, my high school coach, and Lou Pinella in Seattle. And Chris, I, I lament, I wish I had an extra three years with both of them, because both of them were mentors and, and took a little bit of a father figure. And sometimes you need a, a good kick in the ass. And I got it at 38 when finally Major League Baseball said, you know what, Um, you're suspended for a year. Another controversy, Fernando Tatis, uh, 
this was a wildly talented baseball player, and he was suspended for the second half of the season because he was caught with performance-enhancing drugs. And you've, you've really talked about the hole he's dug for himself. Yeah, I think there's, there's a macro conversation and a micro one. Uh, when I heard the news of Tatis, it was heartbreaking. Um, because here's a kid that's young enough to be a senior in college. And if you make that mistake in college, you get a slap on the wrist, they coach you up, you probably miss two or three games, and you live happily ever after. Baseball is a game that has a very rigid, judgmental rules. And what's unfortunate about Fernando Tatis is at 22, 23 years old, he's now gonna just play out his career, and forever he's gonna be as the guy that unfortunately cheated the game football and basketball, there's a way out where you can still have a happy ending. There is no happy ending in baseball, and that's sad. Do you feel that you didn't have a happy ending? I, I think that my happy ending was because I did the work in, in therapy, is because I understood my mistake and I've taken full responsibility for it. And in a strange way, Chris, serving a year suspension, that cost me over $40 million. And more importantly, I, I lost a lot of pride and shame, and the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life was face my daughters, Natasha and Ella, and tell them this is the mistake that daddy made. And here are the lessons that I learned. And I thought it was important as a father to have that moment, Chris, because I grew up getting kind of bullshitted a little bit, and I don't want my daughters to ever feel like they have to BS me because you've got to deal with the truth. The earlier, the better. You say that you think baseball is more rigid than football and, and uh, basketball, pro basketball, in the sense that you make a mistake, you can't sort of work your way through it nearly as easily. Why do you think that is? It's a wrap. You make a mistake is, is one and out. And by the way, I, I want to make it very clear. I'm not criticizing baseball. We knew the rules. I knew the rules when I messed up. I think baseball is, is set in his ways. Um, so if we're not going to change the league, we have to change the players. And I know they do a lot, but we have to do a better job of even being more proactive, educating players, and building guardrails. Because, yes, Fernando Tatis is crushed, but this is a debacle for Major League Baseball. This is a really big, big issue. Here's your brightest star. Think about LeBron James or Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, and they're done at the age of 22. How can baseball compete? I've taken my position. I've been very clear. I'm accountable for all my actions. Now I'm speaking as someone who is madly in love with the game of baseball that is slipping away from us. Um, I do feel that there's an education. I mean, think about this. Tatis hasn't played in a year. He won't play in a year. I've never even heard of what that PED that he took, but I think it's important to educate the fans at home that that's not an anabolic steroid. There's probably a thousand different type of substance, and there's a difference between going 16 on a 15 and murdering three people. And for baseball, it's all-inclusive in one. Derek Jeter had a series this year, uh, a television series on ESPN, and in one of the episodes, and I was very interested that you decided to participate in this because 
you didn't always come off so great in it. It talked about the fact of how close you guys were, that you were brothers, that he would stay at your place in Seattle, you'd stay at his place. And then at some point in 2001, you do an interview with, I guess it was Esquire, and you say, look, he's a number two hitter. He has never had to carry a team. Uh, we don't worry about Derek Jeter beating us. And Jeter called you out in his series. Take a look. My statistics never compared to Alex's statistics. You know, I'm not blind. I understand, you know what I'm saying? But we won. You can say whatever you want about me as a player, that's fine. But then it goes back to the trust and the loyalty. This is how the guy feels. He's not a true friend, is how I felt. Because I wouldn't do it to a friend. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that? I mean, the good news is Derek and I, we've talked about that privately. I'll keep those conversations private. But I thought, you know, he had a good point. Um, I thought my mistake was even talking about it. But you take that quote and you replace me with it, and I'm totally fine with it. Because we had an avalanche of an offense. We had Edgar Martinez and Jay Buhner. And sometimes it's better to say nothing. And again, I know that now at, you know, in my mid-40s versus in my early 20s. So... And this may be something you want to say nothing about. You certainly attract attention. And I want to ask you about one sort of inquiring minds question about Jennifer Lopez, who you went out with for several years. You even set the date to get married and then you broke up last year. Honestly, does it bother you that within days after you broke up that she was back to seeing Ben Affleck and that she ended up getting married to well, him? Not you. First of all, I would say I'm glad I'm not going to ever be a presidential candidate because <laughs> you would hammer me. <laughs> no, with Jennifer, um, look, it, it, was, it was a good experience, and I wish her and the children who are smart and beautiful and wonderful, I wish them the very best. That's it? That's it. Okay. <laughs> but I do I want to ask you one other question. Not about her, because there is a long history of you dating women. Mm -hmm. You're young, you're single, why not? And a lot of them famous women. Do you think, I, I worked a lot on this question, Alex, <laughs> do you think that you're good husband material or do you think, honestly, that you just like the chase? Um, I think when you look at my life, Chris, I, I mentioned when I was 15 years old and I think Sports Illustrated called me the top player in the country. And at that time, I was Alex Rodriguez. And then somewhere along the way, at 24, I get $252 million contract. And probably in Texas, I lost my way a little bit, and I became A-Rod. And I think after the suspension, I've worked myself through a lot of therapy and a lot of work to Alex Rodriguez. I think- Wait, wait, so time out. What's the difference between Alex Rodriguez and A-Rod? I think when you think about it, it's the same difference between Alex Rodriguez, me, pre-suspension and post-suspension. I think pre-suspension, if you asked me what's winning look like, I would have said big contracts, home runs, World Series, you know, nice cars. Women. Women. Post-suspension, I look at more the team, building, being a great father, being a son, being a friend, high character, loyalty, all those things. So in my 20s, early 30s, Probably not the best. I think I'm going to make a wonderful partner or husband and father 
post-suspension because of the lessons learned of my biggest mistakes. Thank you for that. I very much appreciate that. One thing that doesn't get enough attention, or certainly not as much, is your extraordinary philanthropy. Mm-hmm. You give millions of dollars to the boys and girls mm-hmm. clubs. Uh, you do have a lot of programs to have young Hispanic students get into sports programming. You give out a lot of scholarships. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Yeah, it's something that I take a lot of pride in. I don't talk a lot about my philanthropy. I like to do it um, quietly, but we've put over 40 kids, first uh, generation immigrants like myself, through the University of Miami on Alex Rodriguez scholarships. Uh, we hope to do 400 one day. We have you know lofty goals. And the Boys and Girls Club, when my mom had two jobs, saved my life. Uh, and I sit on the national board with uh, Denzel Washington, and we do a lot of great work at, at the university. My third thing that I'm spending a lot of time, and I mentor dozens and dozens of athletes today on financial literacy. And, and Chris, one thing that I wish, I cannot believe that in the American educational system, we don't teach financial literacy. We teach so many things that we don't need, but financial literacy is the way that this country goes from good to great. So explain, when you say financial literacy, meaning? Yeah. The importance of how the capital markets work. The importance of how to balance a checkbook, uh, how to read a P&L, uh, the difference between recourse debt and non-recourse debt, uh, and invest. How about this, an asset versus a liability. Uh, everyone thinks a home is an asset. I think a home is a liability. The asset is a multifamily. And the reason why, the house takes money out of your pocket every month, and a multifamily puts money in your pocket every month. And the more this country knows about financial literacy and can invest in their future, and things that produce cash flow, we're gonna be better off as a country. You know, you joked before about you not wanting to run for president and have me (laughs) (laughs) asking you questions. You sound like somebody who might have an interest in public life, public policy. I'm probably the most apolitical person you're ever gonna meet, but I do know that this is the greatest country in the world. It breaks my heart that people are shown to the blue and the red. This is America. Red, white, and blue is the most important thing. We have to wear the jersey. I wear the jersey every single day. We have to be sensitive to the teachers, the firefighters, the cops that can't afford to live in our cities anymore. Um, Affordable housing is something that's really, really important. And I I am excited, Chris, I'll give you a little politics, that this world seems like it's getting a little bit closer to the middle. I have not. I, I thought the center has always been the center. The problem is that the extremes yeah. are crazy. But just one last question about philanthropy and mm-hmm. kids. Would you rather turn young people into Alex Rodriguez baseball player or Alex Rodriguez businessman? I, I think the business is more important because you look at a guy like Warren Buffett. I honestly think spending time with him recently, he's a better investor today at 92 than he was at 22, 32, or 42. Baseball, you only have, you know, five or six years to play. Well, you had 20, but... Uh, I was very fortunate. I was going to say, there are not a lot of Alex Rodriguez's around. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. This has been a pleasure. Yes, sir. Thank you. Very much appreciate it. For all the controversy, there's no doubt, Alex Rodriguez will go down in baseball history as one of the greatest to ever play the game. But he once said he would rather be on the cover of Fortune magazine than Sports Illustrated. Leave it to Alex. He's made the cover of both. Thanks for watching. Catch us every Sunday on CNN and keep streaming anytime you want right here on HBO Max to find out who's talking next.
When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.